Hey, by way of public service announcement, came across this over at the Motor Tees trailer today. It's a women's t-shirt. It says, uh, Jesus and family and GNCC. And at the very bottom of it, it's got the Team Faith logo. I didn't know anything about this. This is, this is I am very, very incredibly honored that Moto Tees would make a t-shirt with the Team Faith logo on it. And uh, I went and talked to Rachel Mullins, and she said, yeah, we just thought that we'd like to do that. We like what you, you guys are doing here. We like what you're all about. And uh, it actually was her father, John Ayers, that used to do chapel services on the GNCC. And uh, so she said that uh, proceeds from these shirts will, will go towards the ministry here to keep this thing going. And I just thought I'd share that with you all, that if you want a, a T-shirt kind of cool thing, it's down there at the Moto Tees trailer. Um, and I heard that there's probably a men's cut coming. If the women's T-shirt takes off, they'll make a men's T-shirt too. So I'm, again, extremely humbled and honored that they, uh, that they would do that for Team Faith. So let me go ahead and, in the interest of time, go ahead and get started with prayer. Lord, thank you so much for today. Just thanks for allowing me the privilege to be on this series. Uh, the, the, of course, probably what brought all of us here was the love of dirt bikes, the love of racing, and even four-wheelers and UTVs. But what, uh, what keeps me coming back is my love for you and your son, Jesus Christ. So just help me to honor his name as I go through what you've put on my heart tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'd like to read you, start off by reading you a little something uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote. Now, Paul, as, uh, as you might be aware, Paul is one of the authors of the New Testament. He wrote 13 books. The New Testament has 27 books in it. Paul wrote over half of those with 13 letters that he wrote to different churches and even a few letters that he wrote to people. The, I'm going to read to you from a letter that he wrote to a guy named Timothy. This is uh, from 2 Timothy. I'm going to start in chapter 3, verse 16. But in this letter to Timothy, this is actually the last letter that Paul ever wrote. It's actually at the very end of his life. We know that it's at, he knows. We know that he knows it's at the end of his life because when he's writing this letter, he, this is where he says, The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so this is, he knows that he is writing his last words to Timothy his protege, another evangelist that is following in Paul's footsteps. We believe that Timothy wasn't actually a pastor of a church, but he was an evangelist, and he would go around to different churches that Paul had planted, and that he would, he would share with those churches the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would share with them what Paul would say if Paul was there, and he would share with them the good news that Jesus saves. And so Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, and he knows that this is the last time that he's probably ever going to have to communicate with Timothy. And it wasn't long after he wrote this. He wrote this in about 64 AD. Tradition tells us that not long after he wrote this letter, there was a fire in Rome. Paul was actually under house arrest in Rome when he wrote this letter. Not long after this, there was a fire in Rome, and the emperor Nero blamed the fire on the Christians, who he used to set on fire and listen to their screams at night to help him go to sleep. Emperor Nero was extremely, extremely wicked. So this fire in Rome, Nero blames it on the Christians, and he has Paul executed. And because Paul was actually a Roman citizen, it was against the law to crucify him. And so tradition tells us that they had his head cut off. So Paul goes to the guillotine not long after he writes these words. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. My name is Chuck Leemaster, and I'm with, uh, with a ministry called Team Faith Racing, as you can see on the side of my truck here been with Team Faith for, uh, this is going on my 10th year of doing ministry on the world's largest off-road racing series, the Grand National Cross Country Series, and it's a privilege to be here. Team Faith was actually founded in 1994, so almost 25 years ago, 24 years ago, uh, Team Faith was founded by a guy named Brian O'Rourke. Brian O, he still is active in the ministry today, still runs the ministry on the day-to-day things. We are in three different series full-time. We do the Arena Cross, the Pro Arena Cross series, where we have a couple of riders that race and attempt to get on the podium and glorify Jesus. And if we can't get on the podium, the next best thing is to influence the influencers, influence the people that get on the podium so that they'll give glory to God. And over the years, we've seen tremendous things happen on that series. Matter of fact, when we went to that series, when Team Faith went to that series in the early 2000s, Tim Cotter, MX Sports, Tim Cotter was a part of that series. And he said, man, before you guys got here, this was all boozing and brawling. And once Team Faith got here, it settled down as a professional series that it is today. What a difference the light of Jesus Christ and the gospel could make. So we're on the Arena Cross series. We're obviously on GNCC. We're on the Pro Watercraft series. And believe it or not, we have another Team Texas that... Um, if you guys have been, if some of you have been around on this series for a while, you might remember I used to drive a little box truck uh, to these races. Well, that box van, once I was able to upgrade to the fun mover here, the box van went down to Texas and is part of Team Faith Texas, and we run one of the series down there. We have a dedicated chaplain for the series down there, and he rides and he races just like I do here at GNCC. And so we're on those four series, but we started out with jet skis, with Brian O. Brian O was in his late 20s in 1994. And he'd done it all. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, man. He grew up, and he wanted to be a rock star. And so this was in the 80s, 1980s. Brian O, the 80s hair bands, you remember seeing these? Some of you guys might not have a clue what a, what a hair band is. Just look it up, man. 80s rock bands. All these guys had these long, frizzy hair. They permed their hair sometimes if it wasn't curly enough. And, uh, you know, the head banging. That was Brian O. He loved rock and roll music, and he wanted to be a rock star. And so he worked really hard at it, could play guitar. There is a video. If you dig into the Team Faith website deep enough, you'll find Brian O. It says, My Story, and it's got a video of him headbanging in New York City. It's awesome. He's got this really long hair, and he was. And if you watch the video, it's blurry because it was you know VHS tape. Didn't have digital media back then, but he was actually pretty good. And so he goes to New York City, and he lives the life that uh, he, he chased everything that he wanted, sex, drugs, rock and roll, found it all empty. Came home to Knoxville, Tennessee, not a clue what to do, was a DJ in a strip club, and was miserable. And somebody finally asked him, actually it was his stepfather, asked him, said, are you willing to give Jesus a try? And Brian O said, I couldn't be any more miserable than I am right now, so yeah, I'll try Jesus. <laughs> and his life 
was transformed in an instant. It wasn't long after that he resigned, he gave his two-week notice at the strip club, and he's sitting on his couch in Knoxville, Tennessee, 1994. He's watching ESPN2, and jet ski racing was on TV. And it was, uh, I think they were racing down in Florida is what he told me. And there was a kid at the time, 16 years old, who was winning everything. And the kid, every time he would win, he would get the microphone, he'd be on the podium, he'd get the microphone, and he would talk about himself and how good he was. And, uh, and Brian, sitting there on the couch, he just prayed. Baby Christian, didn't have a clue. He just said, God, wouldn't it be awesome if he would use that platform to glorify Jesus instead of himself? And the Holy Spirit said, go. And so Brian actually went down to Florida to meet this pro racer. <laughs> Could not even get an introduction to the guy for over a year. But for a year, he would go to this series, had never raced a jet ski himself, but he went to this series and just started helping out if they would let him help with chorus marshal, whatever he could do, he, he got himself a jet ski and started racing the amateur classes just so he could identify and learn what the sport was all about and so he could reach that one kid. It took him a year to actually meet the guy. Another year, that kid and Brian O were both baptized together at Lake Havasu at World Finals. And when I heard that story, he's like, wait a second, you were doing ministry and you weren't even baptized? He's like, man, I didn't know any better. He said, in order, in order to identify with, with racers, I just thought that maybe I needed to have a race team name. And so I thought Team Faith, because everybody has to have faith in something. And he made up a sticker, and he slapped it on his boat. And that's how Team Faith started. I met Brian O. in 2001. I was, uh, I was playing church at the time. I was, uh, I was saved when I was 12 years old. That's, that's the time that I acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that I'm not going to get into heaven on my own good works or my good looks. I need Jesus. And so at 12 years old, I gave my life to Jesus and said, we, I, I confess my sin to you. Come be Lord and Savior of my life. But I never made it. I never made it a deep heart commitment. And so in 2001, I was playing church. And by that, I mean that the way I was raised was that we had a whole bunch of rules. I was a preacher's kid. My dad was the preacher. And we were, part of a, uh, we were part of a really small Baptist church. And we had rules for everything, man. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls that do. Don't dance. Don't go to movies. If you're a girl, don't wear pants. I mean, there were all kinds of crazy rules. And if you'll do all these things, the idea behind religion is if you'll do for God, then God will do for you. Well, as I became an adult, God didn't do anything for me. And so I would go out there and I would live my own crazy, wild way that in involved a lot of drinking and, and chasing girls. And then I would get convicted that that's not how a Christian should live. So in 2001, I was playing church. I was part of a church in Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, I was leading a Bible study. I was going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. I was helping with the youth, and that's how I got to meet Brian O. He came and spoke to the youth group, and, and uh, I struck up a friendship with him. And it wasn't long after that, though, that, uh, man, I was doing for God three times on Sunday. I was in church three times on Sunday. I was there Wednesday night, Thursday night Bible study, you know, all these things that I was doing for God, and God wasn't doing for me, and I got frustrated, and I'll admit, I got bored. I got bored with church. I mean, how many times can you have Monopoly night? <laughs> Look at us. We're, we're dirt bike racers. We love to race, and we love competition, and so the, the Friday night bowling sessions just weren't really cutting it for me. They were kind of boring, and and uh, God wasn't doing it for me anyway. And before I knew it, I had slipped back into my old ways of drinking and chasing girls. And I just went, this time, I went completely off the rails. I, I just turned my back on Christianity, turned my back on everything that I knew was right, but it didn't work for me. God, 
obviously loves these other people, but he's forgotten about poor old me. And so I went out there and I did my own thing. And uh, Brian O always stayed in touch with me. If he was in town, he would look me up, we'd go to dinner. He knew I wasn't living right. He did not invite me to be a part of his ministry, but he would keep me uh, uh, up to date on what was happening with Team Faith and doing the Arena Cross ministry and, you know, who was riding for him. He started out with a Robbie McQuarrie who, who uh, sometimes couldn't even make the night show at Arena Cross, but was a good, a good rider. But, I mean, Arena Cross, it's, it's a tough competitive sport. And uh, meanwhile, he's building this arena cross thing. And he was building a freestyle motocross team at the same time. Freestyle was just coming on and getting to be really, really big. And Brian had a couple of guys that could, could do tricks. And he was doing freestyle shows all around the country. And I was really happy for him, but that wasn't for me because I was drinking and I was, I was doing everything that I knew not to do. That's what I was doing. Well, it all came to a head in 2006. 2006, I was at the end of myself. By the time, well, I had been dating a girl and uh, got her pregnant. And when the baby was born, when my son Trevor was born, be quiet. <laughs> I love to embarrass him. He hates it. But uh, man, I, I love that kid. It changed my life the moment he was born. He came along and my life was a mess. Uh, I was bankrupt. I had started a business that had failed. I was bankrupt um, as an alcoholic. I wasn't getting along with his mother at all. Everything was falling apart in my life, and I finally, I finally hit that point where I hit my knees with tears, real tears, coming down my face, and I said, all right, God, I give you my life. Whatever you want for my life, if, <laughs> if you want me to preach, I'll even preach. <laughs> that was my number one fear all of my life. I told you I was raised as a preacher's kid. Man, I do not want to be that preacher. We have to wear a suit every Sunday, and, you know, you walk into the room, people change their conversations, they, they, they put those things down, they change what they're drinking. I mean, I do not want to be that guy at all. But when I hit my knees in 2006, I said, all right, God, I am all yours. Whatever, if, if there's anything you can do with my life, you can have it, and you can have it right now. And, man, God, just at that moment, that very exact moment, there was a peace that came into my life that I couldn't even describe accurately to you. But I knew that God was in control, that he had a plan for my life, even though I didn't know what it was. My very first phone call was not to my mother, who had been praying for me for years. My mother was a faithful prayer warrior, been praying for me for years. But my first phone call was to Brian O'Rourke. I said, Brian, I'm all in. He said, praise God, I've been praying for you. I've been waiting for this day. I knew it was going to come. Just been waiting on God to do his work in your life. I started hanging out with the guys at Team Faith, Brian O and, and, and Robbie McQuarrie and a few of the other guys started hanging out and just started growing in my faith, making it a real faith, not playing church, not doing for God so that he would do for me, but getting to know who God was. One of the first things I did was I read this thing from, from front cover to back cover, read it for the first time ever in my life just to find out what is it that God is saying in here, not just to memorize verses, and be a good Christian, but what is it that God is trying to say to me? And I started growing in my faith. 2008, two years after I'd hit my, my knees in full surrender, I started hanging out on Arena Cross on the weekends that I could, and uh, Brian O. asked me if I would share my story at one of the races. And so at Grand Rapids, Michigan, I had a, was able to share with the Arena Cross racers who I was and the exact same story that I'm sharing with you tonight. And it was, it was moving and, and very powerful, at least for me. I mean, I just, I just feel God and the Holy Spirit resting on me and giving me the words to say. And I said, wow, that was amazing. I had never preached 
preached before, and I didn't even know if that counted as preaching or what, but I was, I was amazed that there's, there's, something, there's something happening here. Well, at the end of that season, at the end of the 2008 season, I've been hanging out with all these arena cross guys for so long, I really had an itch to ride my dirt bike, but I'm not a very good motocrosser, and I certainly don't want any part of arena cross. Matter of fact, I tried an arena cross, and I crashed, and, and I, I think my heat race, and I tore my knee up. I was like, forget it, man. I'm not doing any more arena cross. I grew up in the woods. I want to ride my dirt bike in the woods. I mean, I've done a lot of trail riding, but not really a whole lot of racing at this time in 2008. But I lived over in Knoxville, Tennessee. I looked at the GNCC website, saw that they had a race in Big Buck, South Carolina in 2008. It was round three at that time. It wasn't the first round. It was the third round. But it was the first round for UTVs. At the time, I had a Yamaha Rhino, which doesn't sound really cool today, but back in 2008, you had your choice when it came to UTVs. You had the Yamaha Rhino, which completely revolutionized the whole market. Up until that time, we had Rangers and Mules, and then the Rhino came out, and it was sporty, and it was fast, and, and I could drive the wheels off of that thing, or so I thought. Or you could get Polaris introduced the Razor in 2007. Well, in 2008, the Razor, I mean, it was, it was the rave, but you had either the Razor or the Rhino. And I had a Rhino. And so I said, all right, I want to take my Rhino, man. I'm going to find out if I really know how to drive this thing as good as I think I can. So I showed up here at Big Buck with my Rhino and my WR450. And I entered the UTV class. And from the back row, I chased my way. I lapped my entire class all the way up to third place. I chased my way into the top ten overall with a bunch of Razors. I killed it, man. It was like... It was like, it was like God was driving that thing, man. I couldn't have drove a more flawless race if I tried now. And uh, I got on the phone afterwards. Of course, Sunday on my WR450, I got lapped by the leader of my class. It was embarrassing. But Saturday, man, I ruled. It was awesome. So I called Brian O when I got home. I said, man, you will never guess what happened to me this week. I raced the Rhino, and I killed it. He's like, man, there, that might be the next up-and-coming thing. We ought to see if you can win a championship. And at that time, UTV races was four, four rounds. Today it's six rounds, but back then, first season for UTV racing, they limited it to four rounds. And so, man, we put together a sponsorship package. We went to some of Team Face sponsors and got me some wheels and tires and plastic. And I looked good, and I went out there and crashed and <laughs> didn't even finish the next race. That's how racing goes. Yeah, but it got me hooked on GNCC. John Penton, 2008, didn't even have a UTV race at that time, but I just loved GNCC, and I kept coming back. I didn't even know why I was coming. Kept coming back. And John Penton, I heard Rodney over the announcement say, hey, there's a chapel service at the Ampro Yamaha tent Sunday morning at 8.30. And Leo was there doing chapel service that morning. And I showed up, and I was like, man, a group of Christians that I get to go to church at the racetrack. This is awesome. I started going to, every time I would come to GNCC, I would go to chapel service at 8.30 at the Ampro Yamaha tent on Pro Row. And it was, it was a good gathering, sometimes a small gathering, but it was a sincere, sweet time. Get your weekend started off right. I kept coming back. At the end of that season, the seasons back then, it still ended at Ironman. We were sitting around, and John Ayers was actually the one that, uh, that, was, that was ultimately in charge of, of the uh, chapel services, and he and Leo would, uh, would split their duties. And I was talking with John Ayers, and he said, man, we're starting, we're going over to uh, outdoor motocross next year, and so I won't be around, won't be able to do the chapel services on GNCC. I don't know who's going to do it. <laughs> and it was, it was as if God 
opened heavens, angels started singing, a light shone down right on me, and Chuck, this is for you. And I said, well, I'll do it. <laughs> had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> I said, I'll do it. This starts my 10th year of doing it. To date, not to be proud, not to brag, but I have not missed a race in 10 years. I've showed up with my arm in a sling. I've showed up without a dirt bike because it was broke and I didn't have time to fix it. But I've been here, and we've done chapel service every weekend, every GNCC for 10 years and beyond because we had faithful people that paved the way for me to even be here. And so I share all that with you because uh, maybe this is your first time being here and you, you don't know what this is all about. You just heard that there's a non-denominational chapel service. What's happening? Are we handling rubber snakes? What are we doing here? I want to share with you who I am and why I do what I do and who Team Faith is and ultimately who I represent, and that is Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And I want to be as faithful and as accurate as possible. And so I wanted to share with you that letter from Timothy because... In it, he's giving his instructions to Timothy, and he's saying, preach the word. And that's what we do here on Saturday nights, is preach the word. And I take it very, very seriously. I'm a skeptic, not by nature, but by experience, by life experience. You know, advertisers have lied to me. Um, girls have lied to me. Everybody has lied to me. I have learned over the years to be a skeptic. And so if you're a skeptic, I completely understand. I mean, I've been to sporting events before where they say, hey, there's going to be a non-denominational chapel service. You show up, and it's really, really lame. It's like the guy didn't put any time into it. He's just kind of standing around, and you're like, oh, man, I don't want to waste my time with that. That's not what we do here. At least I hope it doesn't come across that that's what we do here. Because this is serious business. Let me share with you a little bit about what we do. This is what Paul said. I'm just going to walk right through it. What Paul said, he said, all scripture is inspired by God. This is where we started off 10 minutes ago. All scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, here's how my mind works. I was raised in church, I told you. As a kid, I loved it. It was great. You know, we had Sunday school classes where we didn't have multimedia. We had flannel graph, if you know what flannel graph is. But I loved it, man. We had stories. We got to, we got to have craft time. You know, as a little kid, I loved, I loved church. As a middle schooler, maybe about 9, 10 years old, we had vacation Bible school in the middle of summertime. And one year, I remember this specifically, that at vacation Bible school, they had this contest. Remember what religion is. If you do for God, he'll do for you. So here's how we're going to do for God all you little boys and girls, if you will memorize the most number of verses, you get a prize. And the prize this year was this great big giant stuffed dog, like a stuffed animal, not a stuffed taxidermist dog, but a stuffed animal <laughs> dog, okay? If you, if you memorize the most verses, you get this stuffed dog. Now, I don't know why I wanted that stuffed dog, except that I'm competitive by nature, just like you guys are. I'm like, I'm going to win that dog. Man, I memorized the most number of verses. The next year, they had a stuffed teddy bear. I certainly didn't want a teddy bear, but I wanted to be the best. I had so obliterated everybody the year before, nobody even tried. They might as well just give me that. Man, I was doing for God. I was memorizing. I knew all about religion, but I found out that religion was empty, that it's not what you do for God that God does for you. It does, that formula just doesn't work. And so my skeptical mind now kicks in all my growing up, all my, every time I ever heard this verse, all scripture is profitable. I'm like, well, wait a second, wait a second. You're telling me 
You're telling me that all Scripture, all 66 books in this Bible is all Scripture, but just 10 minutes ago I told you that this letter was to Timothy, that it was a letter that Paul wrote. It wasn't Scripture. Paul didn't sit down and write that this is Scripture. So how can you identify that as Scripture? This is, this is now, after having hit my knees, I am skeptical of everything. I question everything. And I challenge you, don't be afraid to question everything. Dig into it. If you find something in the Bible that you don't understand, or maybe you think that it doesn't make sense and it doesn't mesh, dig into it. Find out why doesn't it mesh. Why, why do I believe what I believe today? And so I dug into it. Why do we consider why do we consider the book of 2 Timothy scripture when it was actually just a letter that Paul was writing and there's a couple of very very good reasons for that. Number 1, Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter referred to Paul as writing scripture. Consequently, the early church in the first century, as these letters were being passed around church to church and person to person and they were being read, they were treated as if they were scripture. They were treated with the same weight that if, as if God is speaking to us through the Apostle Paul, the same way that God was speaking to us through the prophet Isaiah or Jeremiah or anybody else. And so the first church, uh, the, the, the first century church, had that tradition of treating Paul's letters as if they were scripture themselves. Furthermore, uh, lost my place here, but did you know of the, uh, of the 27 books in the New Testament, there were nine different authors. All nine of those authors were eyewitnesses to Jesus himself. You look through the Gospels, all four eyewitness accounts, and you look through Acts, and you look through Paul had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, John, who wrote, uh, who wrote the books of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then, then Revelation, all eyewitnesses to Jesus. So the, in the 1st century church, they treated all 27 of these letters as if they were scripture themselves. Finally, in 382 AD, at the Council of Rome, the New Testament was officially canonized. That's the official word for it, that these 27 books, that is now, we're officially calling it the New Testament. This is God has inspired, God has breathed, it's called God inspired, God breathed these words to us through the Apostle Paul, through Peter, through John, through Luke, through all these nine authors of the New Testament. And so I can with full confidence say that when Paul says all scripture is inspired by God, I believe it. I know it, and I live my life according to that. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We all do a lot of traveling as we do this racing thing, even if you're just doing this, uh, this as part of your local series. Even local races require a lot of traveling. You get a lot of windshield time. I kill a lot of that windshield time by listening to podcasts. I love to listen to other preachers, people that are better at speaking than I am, better at researching things and learning things. One of my favorite uh, speakers and authors is Andy Stanley. He, pre he pastors at uh, North Point Church over in Atlanta, Georgia. And I have heard him say several times that Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. And that quote sticks with me. Jesus makes your life better, makes you better at life. Not Jesus makes your life better because all your problems go away. No, 
When you become a Christian, sometimes your problems increase. But you remember I talked about that peace that came instantly over me when I said, all right, God, I am all yours. I surrender everything. Man, Jesus made my life better. Makes me better at life. Because as I start applying these principles in this book, all of a sudden, I st- all those problems that I had when I hit my knees, I had a failed relationship. <laughs> Girls are lying to me. I haven't had a girl lie to me in over a dozen years. <laughs> I haven't dated anybody in over a dozen years. But nonetheless, I'm better at life. I'm winning at life. I'm debt-free. I was- when I hit my knees, I had over $70,000 in debt. Today, I'm debt-free except for the mortgage. And not to, not to up here being the, you know, beating my chest or anything. But I'm better at life. Because I've applied principles that are in God's Word. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, usable by God for His eternal purposes and His eternal kingdom. That's what the Word of God is good for. It's good to, to make you better at life, if we have to put it simply, so that you can influence people and have a stake in eternity. Paul goes on. He says, I charge you, he's talking to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead. And I just want to pause right there. Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. What we're doing right now, under this little tent that we call Racetrack Church or Dirt Bike Church or whatever you call it, what we're doing right now has eternal consequence. This is more important than the State of the Union address that the President gives every February. This is more important than a meeting at the United Nations that gets all the press and all the TV coverage. This is a matter of life and death. This has eternal consequence because... Jesus is the only way to have eternal, eternal life. I want to, looking back on my early days with, uh, with Team Faith, uh, 2008 is when I started hanging out with the team. I got to speak at Grand Rapids, and after Arena Cross season, I showed up here at GNCC. Uh, during the summer of 2008, Team Faith received a very unique invitation to go and compete at X Games in Los Angeles. Our rider at the time was Kevin Johnson. Kevin Johnson could do a little bit of freestyle. And he was an arena cross racer who was capable. He had won arena cross races, a good, fast racer, solid Christian man. He was invited to go to X Games. At X Games, an amazing, amazing story where he was part of the inaugural speed and style event and uh, was pitted up against Nate Adams and Travis Pastrana and Ronnie Renner and a bunch of big names in freestyle right there. And he won. He beat them all. Won gold. Got to give glory to God on ESPN Live TV. It was awesome. Also at uh, X Games that year, in 2008, there was another event, Freestyle, which Kevin wasn't a part of, but the guy who won the gold in Freestyle in 2008 was a guy named Jeremy Lusk. Jeremy Lusk won the gold there. He went on down to Costa Rica in February of 2009. So February 2009 is just before I start coming on GNCC and have my first church service under the Ampro tent in 2009. So February 2009, Jeremy Lusk is down there in Costa Rica, part of the X Knights uh, freestyle competition. And you might even remember this. He under-rotates a backflip. He lands. He gets ejected from the bike, lands on his head, breaks his neck, and he dies in the hospital. Dies down there in Costa Rica. Makes national news. It was a big, big news item for about a week there. 
that uh, was constantly being talked about. Incredibly, incredibly sad event. Jeremy Lusk was actually a Christian. Thank God that I know because he placed his faith in Jesus Christ, I know where Jeremy Lusk is at today, but because his death caused such a big stir, even my own mother heard about him dying on a dirt bike. I'm getting ready to go to GNCC and race my dirt bike and compete and all this stuff, and she just off the cuff, without thinking, she asked me. She's always worried about my safety. I don't know what the deal is. Moms, I mean, come on. And she says, why do you do this? I said, what do I do? I do because people are dying. That's exactly why I do this. Because this is a matter of life and death. Some people that are here, they'll never go to church. They'll never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I get to take it to them. This is why I do what I do. You guys heard this week that Billy Graham, the great American evangelist, he passed away. I was driving down in Mississippi uh, for, for my job and in my truck. I've got XM radio, and so in the morning I was listening to Fox News, and they, uh, they broke their broadcast. Breaking news, Billy Graham has died at the age of 99 years old. And uh, during their whole conversation, they talked for about 45 minutes, nonstop, no commercials or anything. They were talking about Billy Graham. Part of their broadcast, Brian Kilmeade, one of the morning announcer, one of the morning commentators on uh, Fox and Friends, he made the comment, something along the lines of, man, if anybody could get into heaven, we know that that guy did. Ainsley Earhart, who is the female personality of Fox and Friends, cut him off. She said, that's not it. That's not why he's, he's in heaven because of his faith in Jesus Christ. His faith in Jesus, just like I have done. She gave a bold testimony on national television about her faith in Jesus Christ and how you and I can have uh, eternal life just like Billy Graham. And it's not because of how good a person he was. It's because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the, that's the simple gospel that Paul charged Timothy. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ who is the, to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. That's it. Simple. Preach the word. This is something that Billy Graham was so good at doing. So simple, so earnest, and so humble about his message. I heard during that episode on the news, I heard something about Billy Graham that I had never heard before. One of his friends that had known him for a long time said that when Billy Graham does a sound check, like when you're checking the speakers and I say, check one, two, three, is it working okay? What? Billy Graham, every time he did a sound check, he didn't do that. Every time he did a sound check, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. <laughs> that's the gospel. That's the word. And that's what we preach here at Dirt Bike Church at GNCC is that there is eternal life through Jesus. And that's my primary mission, is that tonight, if you died tonight, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? If not, you can know for sure just by simply accepting the free gift of God's Son, Jesus, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, His Son, says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. This is an open door right here. As you come to this race series, this is always an open door. Many times I've had the knock, will you pray for me? A lot of times it's, will you pray for me so that I'll have good, good luck and success on the racetrack? 
God, keep me safe. Well, sometimes we break our arm or leg, whatever. But oftentimes I've had that knock. Will you pray for me because my marriage is having difficulty? Will you pray for me because I have a serious life issue? Be ready in season and out of season. I'm easy to find. Chuck at teamfaith.com. That's my email. Chuck at teamfaith.com. Or look me up on Facebook. Chuck Lee Master. Look me up on Facebook. My Facebook profile actually has my cell phone number on it. Don't tell tell marketers that. I already have health insurance. <laughs> but my cell phone number is on there. People have actually called me because they found my cell phone number on Facebook. I'm ready. At least my goal is to be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching means I don't just stand up here and pound the pulpit and tell everybody about how wrong they are and how right I am. That's what Facebook's for, right? I try not to do that there either, but man, it's hard sometimes. But the goal is to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You know, I cannot think of a time in history that that statement is more relevant than it is today. Ten years ago when I started coming to this, uh, to, to this great series right here, I mean, I've seen a lot of things change. Ten years ago, MySpace was actually a thing. <laughs> now, nobody knows what MySpace even was. Ten years ago, David Knight had just finished uh, winning the championship. He didn't come back to defend it. Paul Wibley won it on a Kawasaki. Everybody thinks of him on a Yamaha. Caleb Russell in 2009, he won his first XC2 championship on KTM and still with KTM today. Look how far he's come. A lot of things have happened in the last 10 years. 10 years ago, homosexuality was universally considered a sin. 2008, the top political candidate for the Democratic Party sat at Saddleback Church and said that marriage is between a man and a woman. When he became president in 2013, he put... He put uh, rainbow lights on the White House to celebrate gay marriage. Now, let me tell you something. If you struggle with homosexuality, you're in good company. You're welcome here. This is a good spot for you because there's not a single person here that's perfect, including the person that's up front with a microphone, okay? We all struggle. And sin is sin, all right? Whether it's, whether it's struggling with lust, whether it's adultery, whether it's fornication, pornography, homosexuality, all of those things are sin. All right, and I have struggled with four out of those five things badly before I hit my knees. And even after hitting my knees, there were a lot of things I had to wrestle through and beg God for for forgiveness and for help and for power and for strength. And today I'm walking in victory. And today I can offer my strength to other people who are also struggling. And there are people all around us, even under this tent, that are struggling with sin. And this is a good place to be if you struggle with sin because there's hope in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came that we may have life, that we may have it abundantly. He came to set the captive free. But one thing that you'll never hear at this chapel service is that you should be comfortable in your sin. As of the end of 2017, there were over 50 denominations in the United States that were endorsing homosexuality. And, and embracing gay marriage. And maybe maybe you're not a churchgoer, maybe you've never heard that this is wrong, but God says that it's wrong, and I can't deviate from that. I can't deviate from that for convenience sake. I can't deviate from that to make somebody feel good because here's, here's the thing. If you don't have sin 
you don't need a Savior. If you don't need to deal with your sin, you don't need Jesus. I need Jesus badly because he's the only one that ever did defeat sin. He's the only one that ever did live the perfect life. He's the only one that conquered sin. Not only did he conquer sin, he conquered death. The penalty for sin, Jesus conquered it because he rose from the grave on the third day. And so there's incredible hope in that. No matter what you struggle with, no matter what the sin is that you struggle with, there's incredible hope in the power of Jesus Christ. And so that's the goal of the preaching, is not to tickle somebody's ears, is not to make somebody feel good about themselves, make you feel comfortable in, in, in the way that you're living your life, but to spur you onward. Number one, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the saving power of Jesus Christ. Number two, to have a relationship with Him on a day-to-day. Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. That way we don't wander off into myths. That's what Paul was talking to Timothy about. His instruction was, don't wander off into myths. As for you, he closes this passage, this portion that I'm reading to you. He says, as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And that's the calling that God has on my life, is this ministry here. When John Ayers said that, hey, I don't think I can be here next year, that was the ministry that God commissioned me, Chuck Lee Master, and I'm very humbled and thankful to be a part of it here. I'm here for you in any way. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I would love to lead you to Him. It's pretty simple. If you're struggling with your walk, I'd love to encourage you. I'm here for you all night, every single weekend that there's a race, I'll be here. Lord, thank you so much for today. Just thank you for the people that are gathered under this tent in the name of Jesus. We pray that you will inspire and encourage us. We pray that the words tonight will rebuke and exhort and spur us on so we can come to know you in new, better ways that we can be used by you to expand your kingdom for eternity. This is the most important thing that we do with our time. And so we thank you for it. We pray that uh, you ordain it. We pray that you go with us and that you will draw us close to yourself. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much. Have a great race.